What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Happy 2021. Hopefully, everybody rang in the year happily and safely. And I want to welcome everyone into a new episode of the Quarterly Report Podcast, episode 177. Of course, I am your host, Armand Lee. And despite the fact that it's a brand new year, we're still touching on some of the same important and fascinating topics, at least to me. Hopefully, you would agree as well. Y'all know we're going to touch on the huge fight this past Saturday in Dallas, Texas, between King Rye, Ryan Garcia, and a very impressive and telling performance versus Luke Campbell. We have so much to discuss regarding that. Also, John Wall has been turning heads and silencing critics, even doubters like myself. But is it too early to make any type of declaration about who won and who lost a specific trade? I'm going to touch on that and so much more. But first, our number one topic this week. First quarter. Have you ever found yourself in the position to where, you know, you've always been confident? No matter no matter the 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 arena. Could be in your professional career, your your personal relationships, maybe your your friend circle, uh, maybe it's working out, whatever that case may be. You already have a certain level of confidence in yourself, in your abilities. And then you then overperform expectations that the outside world, again, not you, have placed on yourself, right? So you already were confident, okay? So let's say you're working out, right? Or maybe you're at the, the, the local gym. Y'all got like a rec league or whatever. And you know you're nice on the court, right? And then, even though you know you're nice, there may be a certain level of expectations being placed on your shoulders, on your ability. And then y'all get in the tournament, you cook everybody. You understand? Maybe you know you the, you an amazing boyfriend, right? And Christmas, you know, we just came off of the holiday season. So you know you're an amazing boyfriend, and you know you're typically a good gift giver. And then you hold your girl down, and you like, wow her on christmas so maybe it's a a valentine's day gift and you like yeah i i told you i was that you understand like whatever the case may be you are already coming into a situation confident and then you overperform expectations of you so then you rock around like yo my shit don't sting i know what time it is baby king joffy joe for out this joint throw the rose petals at my feet before i even walk in the room you understand like have you ever had that situation where you like yo I killed that. Maybe it was in school. Like, I killed the test. I knew I, I knew I had this class. I knew I had this thing matched. And then I knocked this 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 class, right, this exam, whatever the case may be, out the park. That is a great moment, right, of feeling like, yo, I know I killed that joint. Like, I saw the obstacle. I saw the task. I knew I was able to knock this task out. But, damn, I didn't know it was going to be that easy. You understand? There is something very, uh, there's something very beautiful, self-assuring. There's something that is invigorating about those moments that happen to all of us. But if you have been in that position before, you also know it's a very dangerous position to be in because there's always a time where you can get caught smelling your own shit, right? There's always the time where you could feel yourself a little bit too much. 
nothing wrong with having confidence. In fact, confidence is one of the best traits I think we all can have as, as humans. You should always believe in yourself. But there is a fine line between believing in yourself and then flexing too hard. Walking with your head up high and then walking like, you know, your shit don't stink. Nose up in the air looking down at people. And this is where I think I personally feel the Miami Heat are on the verge of becoming. A few weeks ago, what are y'all, y'all may be like, Armand, what are you talking about? Miami Heat, I remember last year. I remember last year vividly where I was telling people, yo, Jimmy Butler's one of the best players. Like, I've always been a huge Jimmy Butler fan. In fact, one of the only things I've ever gave compliments to Elton Brand was, yo, he was able to, to, to swing big and he landed Jimmy Butler. And Jimmy Butler, again, I don't believe in coincidence. Every single team that he gets to, they improve. Every single team that leaves, they get worse. It happens now for four out of the last five seasons. We have seen it happen. So I was always big on Jimmy Butler, and I thought that Jimmy Butler was going to have a significant impact on the Miami Heat. Remember, two years ago, the Heat didn't even make the postseason. And I remember, y'all know I'm a huge Dan Lebertar fan of Miami show. They were questioning, yo, man, they maxed out Jimmy Butler. Like, Jimmy Butler, he's a good player, but he's not top-tier player. He's not one of those elite players. And while he's not a top-tier level player, I would agree with that. He's absolutely on that whatever tier below. Like, if tiers in the NBA are weird because I don't know. I believe that they're tiers, but I think that number one tier is very, very few. There's only a few people who can occupy that at one time. Um, But, yes, a lot of people, even smart basketball minds, even people closely who, who follow closely the Miami uh, basketball team they were questioning Jimmy Butler and I never did now I was confident in Jimmy's ability what he did last year was even you know overperform expectations like again what we were talking about earlier in this quarter you're confident you know you're going to dock this gift out you know you're going to do well in this class you know you're going to take care of business at this new job but then you overperform to the point where everybody's looking at you like, yo, you Bruce, you Bruce Leroy, you got the glow, right? That's what Jimmy Butler did last year in the Heat. As confident as I was that Jimmy Butler was a, a top player, as confident as I was that Jimmy Butler was going to make that Miami Heat team a postseason playoff team, ain't no way in the world I knew that they were going to go to the finals and give LeBron the toughest run in the postseason. I wouldn't have told you that Miami was going to beat Milwaukee. Didn't see that coming. And a lot of people did see that. I didn't. But now the Heat are in a position where you can improve your team. James Harden is available. And I know some of y'all may be listening. Like, Hold on, Joe. Didn't you tell me like a month or so ago that the Heat shouldn't be trading? Like you, you were talking to your homeboys. He was like, yo, Bam and Tyler Hero and pieces for James Harden and you wouldn't do that. Yeah. That's absolutely who I am. What I'm saying 100%. But apparently the line isn't drawn at Bam and Tyler Hero. The Miami Heat have made it perfectly clear. Bam Adebayo is not available at all. And Houston has moved off of Bam apparently. According to recent reports, and this is I was something reading several different articles last week. 
the Miami Heat have said, yo, we are not including Tyler Hero or Duncan Robinson. <laughs> Let me repeat myself. The Miami Heat said that we are not including Tyler Hero or Duncan Robinson for a package for James Harden. Now, again, if the Houston Rockets were saying we want Bam, we want Tyler Hero, we want Duncan Robinson, and we want some picks, oh, yeah, you hang up the phone. Bam Adebayo did not make All-NBA, but there is a legit case that he should have, and I do believe that he will, if not this season, in the next few seasons moving forward. So if I'm Miami, I'm like, yo, we're not giving you Bam, which makes sense, right? When you look around the other teams at which uh, who have been reported in terms of calling up for James Harden, Jason Tatum hasn't been made available. Joel Embiid hasn't been made available. You know, there, there are certain players, young, talented, upside players, who are just off the books, and that makes sense, right? So that goes according to what is happening in Philly, what's happening in Boston. The number one young prize player is not available for a trade. Bomb, I get that. So you take Bam off the, out of the equation. And if Bam is out of the equation, well, then now I'm looking at Miami. I'm like, hold on, bro. Are y'all in a position where you are smelling your own shit? You you feeling yourself so much that now you are looking around being like, nah, we got this. Because I have the utmost respect. Again, if you, if you are a Nick fan of a certain age, you know what time it is with Pat Riley. One of the worst things that had happened to this organization was letting Pat Riley go. We let Pat Riley go for like Walter McCartney in another first round pick. It's truly an awful, awful situation. But whatever, that's in the past. Pat Riley has gone to Miami and has morphed that organization into his, you know, his liking, really. Like that team has, I don't know how they've done it, but they've utilized their environment, like literally and figuratively, to their best interest. And they have, man, they knocked it out of the park. But now they're, they are very close to getting into that danger zone where they start feeling themselves a little bit too much. Look, Duncan Robinson is a phenomenal specialist, one of the best shooters in this league. And I've talked about this ad nauseum. If you are a championship contender, which the Miami Heat absolutely are, they should 100% carry themselves as a championship contender. Yo, you need specialists. Round out your roster. And Duncan Robinson performed well in the finals. Like, let's not make that, let's not sugarcoat that, let's not overlook that. Duncan Robinson played well. Tyler Harrell left a lot, a lot of meat on the bone, for sure, in the finals. But whatever, he was a rookie. Tyler Harrell is a phenomenal player. I think that he is going to be a really, really good player. I don't necessarily see all NBA, all-star potential for him. But he could he could change it. And even if he doesn't become an all-NBA player, like that's a high bar. You can be a really good player and never make all-NBA. Thus far, Devin Booker, Bradley Beal, these guys, Mike Conley has had a phenomenal career. Never once made all-NBA. It's okay not to do that. It's okay. You can do that and still be a phenomenal NBA player. And you need good players to win a championship. And specifically, right, to compete year in and year out on a rookie contract, no less. But what you saw in the NBA Finals last year, that's not going anywhere. Jimmy Butler 
without Gordon Dragic, without Bam Adebayo for much of that series, was able to carry that Miami Heat team on his back. One, they won two games in that series, but one of those series, one of those games was off the strength of Jimmy. Jimmy was able to get you a game versus LeBron and AD. That's that's incredible when you think about it. And if you have one of those top guys, again, however tier you want to break it down, that's up to you. Ultimately, you're like, if I have this player on this team, he can get me at least to the finals, or he can get me at least a playoff series win. But if I get to the finals, can you at least get me one win? Just put everything aside. Can you get me one? Jimmy has shown us he can do that. But then immediately following game five, game six, after that amazing performance by Jimmy Butler, what happened is that viral clip, that image after game five where Jimmy's like just huddled over the scorer's table, just exhausted. And he had nothing left in the tank for game six. Nothing left. And what happened? Tyler Harrell couldn't shoulder the load. Duncan Robinson, obviously that's not his game. And Miami was blown out by a better team. You know, and there's no shame in that. The Miami Heat were not as good as the Los Angeles Lakers. LA has two of those tier one players. Miami has a tier two guy. And that's not a knock on Jimmy Butler. I'm one of Jimmy Butler's biggest fans, but that's what it is. And Jimmy gave everything he had. Jimmy Butler's 31, 32. After what Jimmy Butler gave that Miami Heat organization, after the the, the culture shift, the, the, the actual horse, like he infused that Heat organization with not just talent, but with oomph. You understand? Jimmy ain't a spring chicken, though. So after what he gave, emptied the tank for that team, the five overperformed even the highest expectations, silenced the doubters, the critics. All of that happened last season. I don't want to say you owe it to Jimmy because you owe it to your organization. If you have an opportunity to get another tier two guy, and I don't think James Harden's a tier one guy, but he's one of the elites in this game. And the only thing you would have to give up would be some kind of package of Gordon Dragic picks, Tyler Harrow and Duncan Robinson. That's all you would have to give up. Don't you gotta do like, what are we doing? There's a point where you get to, and we always have to, we have to be very wary because the world has a way of humbling you. Don't get too high. Don't get too low. And I always say on this show, man, self-assessment is one of the best attributes that we all can have. Imagine, imagine seeing Philadelphia having internal discussions about whether or not they should trade Ben Simmons, a 24-year-old all-NBA, all-defensive player. Yes, we know Ben is flawed. But Ben is so much better, so much better than whatever the highest expectations of Duncan Robinson and or Tyler Harrell could be. There is no comparison. The the Sixers are debating whether we should let go of a 24-year-old franchise centerpiece. A 24-year-old who has made an all-NBA team without ever having the team being built around his skill set. A guy who who likely will be also an all-NBA, or excuse me, he's already all-NBA defense, but a defensive player of the year candidate is what he's 24. 
The Sixers are debating, yo, should we move him? The Celtics are debating, yo, should we move Jalen Brown? I don't know if y'all been paying attention. Jalen Brown gets better every single year. <laughs> and he's not a specialist. He's one of these guys who can do a lot. The Celtics are debating whether they should move him. You go to Miami and they're like, yo, I think Duncan Robinson and Tyler Harrell are too much. What are we doing? What is happening? And I enjoy, I like Harrell. I really like Duncan Robinson. And the fact that they make so little money is even that much better. But you can add Dragic. You have an expiring Olenek and give them two picks. I mean, again, your team is built to win now. You just paid Bam. Jimmy's in year two. And you have all of these expiring contracts. Like, this is the time to go for it. And you playing games because of a specialist in Tyler Harrow, who's a really good player, but will never be what James Harden is. What? Like, we all understood that Miami was going for Giannis. We all got that. And if they were going to get Giannis, you're moving all those guys to get him. Bong. We get it. Giannis is better than James Harden. Giannis is younger than James Harden. We understand that. I get it. I'm not trying to say what you give up for Giannis is you give up for James Harden, particularly with the kind of cloud that's surrounding Harden right now. I get that. But it ain't like James Harden's that far off. And when you have someone like Jimmy who, and, and you brag about your culture to anyone who listens, like if the culture is strong enough, you can take on someone like Harden because he's that great of a player. And he could be the player to put you over the edge. We saw what happened. Jimmy was able to get you one. And Bam wasn't playing most of that series. So imagine if you're running back. And here's the thing. It's not a guarantee that you even get back to the finals. I doubt that you get back to the finals if you just run it back with the same team. But if Bam is healthy, you have Jimmy, and now you have James Harden? Oh, come on. That's how you beat the Lakers. That's how you run it back again. That's how you, you slow down Milwaukee, who's going to who's reloaded. That's how you get past Philadelphia, who seemingly has retooled and is a much better team now than a year ago. Who's healthy? Like, come on, like, what are we doing? You're smelling your own shit. There's no possible way that if Houston is not asking for Bam. They're asking for a specialist, Tyler Harrow, an expiring and multiple picks that you don't do that immediately. And now, again, there could be more happening there. I don't know. I don't know. Houston could be asking for like seven. They could be asking for one of those godfather picks. But we know one thing about Pat Riley. If you've been paying attention, he don't care about picks. He traded first round picks for Gordon Dragic. You mean to tell me he's not going to do it for James Harden? I had a conversation with uh, several people, friends and people who I just know, I don't say no, but interact with on Twitter. And this was around the time of the Davis Bertrand signing with the Washington. And I've always said this. If I'm not a championship level team, I'm not going to overpay for a specialist, particularly when you look around the league every year, there are great shooters who come in or great shooters who you didn't know about a year before, and then they they finally get confidence or they, they understand the timing, and then bomb, they blow up. Last year, 
it was Duncan Robinson, Davis Bertans. The year before that, Seth Curry had a huge coming out party. Like, you just look around the league, you can always find elite level shooting. It's always there. Also, while everyone is having these debates about Steph Curry, y'all are crazy. Steph Curry is still a top 15 to 10 player of all time, in my opinion. This has been kind of the Curry era. His impact on the game is undeniable you, on all levels. Everybody in the in the pros are trying to shoot threes. Colleges, guys have opened up the game, and even in amateurs, right? You look at high school and youth sports. Everybody wants to jack up threes. Steph Curry, this has been kind of his the imprint, the lasting legacy that he has on this game. And it's been this way now for about five to six years. So think about it. All of these young players who may have been groomed to just only shoot or to work on their handle and shoot under this Curry era for the last five years. Think about it. So when you started playing basketball, you probably were like, what, 10, 11, 12? That means 15, 16, 17, 18, 19-year-olds have been watching and learning and playing basketball in this era, knowing the importance of the three-point shot. Meaning, there's an influx of elite-level shooters that will be coming into this league now. And we've already talked about the last two, three years, how the priority, how you just start finding these top-level shooters. They're all over. the. Detroit has them on speed. I don't even know. Like, you know, you look around. There are all these guys. Jake Lehman, sorry, Herder in Atlanta. All of these players. Bogdanovich in Atlanta and Utah, both of them. Like these shooters are all around and every year there's another guy who just all of a sudden runs to the top of the line Duncan Robinson was the guy last year don't tell me it's harder to find another Duncan Robinson than it is to find a James Harden that's insane this is the case of you start to smell your own stuff you are pleased that you were able to find Robinson and Harrow yeah you should be and they got you as far as I believe, realistically, they can. If you were to say, man, Duncan Robinson and Tyler Harrow, when they were both signed or drafted, you know what? They played big minutes in the NBA Finals game without knowing last year's final situation, right? The moment you sign them to contracts, like, you know what? These two guys, they're going to play big-time minutes in the NBA Finals game for you. You'd be like, what? Wow. And you would take that. And then, if you would be like, but you also could get James Harden for them too. In addition to them playing big finals game, they're going to be, they're going to be what gives you James Harden. You would be like, oh, we hit a home run with these two, and wouldn't think nothing else. You wouldn't think anything of it. Like this is kind of where we have to start looking at it, like. I know there's there is a, a a backlash. People don't like kind of looking at players as assets, and Daryl Morey is kind of the centerpiece of that. You can't look at a guy like you want to build relationships and all that, and that's cool, cool. I'm not. This is not the argument for that. But if you think that Duncan Robinson and Tyler Harrow will move your team to a championship, move your team closer to a championship than James Harden, oh well, then you may be too far gone. Straight up Drake with it. Is out the window joke because that makes no sense these players are precisely what you would want to have they play well they're on rookie contracts and you can move them for a big fish move your pawns for a rook a bishop 
that's the move here. You ain't going to take another man's king, outsmart the queen with just a bunch of pawns. And I'm not, and knights, I'm not, and I'm not knocking, I don't want to be disrespectful to Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson because they're quality players on amazing contracts. But it's similar to what we talked about on brand earlier this quarter. I remember when people were upset about moving Robert Covington. Robert Covington is a really good player. But one of the best things about Covington is his versatility and then his contract. If, you're, if your contract is one of the best things people believe in you or one of the first things people use as exhibit A, B, C and, and defending you, well, that lets you know you're a good player. You are not special. Duncan Robinson is a specialist. Tyler Harrell has the ability to be an all-star. I think he has all-star ability. I don't think he has all-NBA. He damn sure don't have MVP level. And if you are looking at Jimmy, who who literally have had gave everything he had to you to win a game, to win two games versus the Lakers, just two. How can you then be like, yeah, let's run it back? How? This is a no-brainer to me. Again, Philadelphia is contemplating moving an all-NBA player at 24. The Heat are contemplating moving a specialist in Tyler Harrell. <laughs> no disrespect, but that sounds absolutely nuts. But I want to hear your guys' thoughts. Should the Heat pull the trigger? If it's only going to cost Harrell, Duncan, Dragic, maybe filler and picks, to me, that's a no-brainer. But I want to hear your guys' thoughts. Email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Tweet at the show at quarterlyshow, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R. L-E-E show. All right, guys, we are staying on the hardwood, actually pretty much staying in Houston as well, as one of my favorite players has also set the league on fire early, but still on fire. But is it too soon to declare winners and losers off the James or John Wall, Russell Westbrook trade? So our second topic. Second quarter. If you've listened to this podcast for any significant amount of time, you know that I am a huge John Wall fan. John Wall has been one of my favorite players uh, since he's come into the league. I still vividly remember the day that the Wizards won the draft lottery. You know, my, uh, my daughter my daughter wasn't even alive yet. Like, her mother was pregnant, and we are watching the lottery together, and I remember just freaking out. And as a Knicks fan, always been a Knicks fan, I remember how excited I was that D.C. was getting John Wall. And... I think it's fair, even as a huge John Wall fan, I think it's fair to say, you know what? He hasn't, he didn't quite live up to the expectations in D.C., but the, there are a lot of factors that go into that. Some of it is his own behavior, but some of it is the environment in which he was drafted into and how long the the main reason, right, for the 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 bad culture, the bad environment. Like Ernie Grunfeld was allowed to stay in D.C. for so long, and that's no fault of John. In fact, John probably allowed Ernie to stay here because of how phenomenally he played once he had some help. But, well, I say all of that because when I see John playing, it's only been three or four games now, but when I see him play, man, it feels good to see him play like this. 
but I'm still cautiously optimistic. Cautiously optimistic is the key. It's the key phrase here, man, because, you know, the NBA community, we hear the phrase small sample size ad nauseum. You hear all the time, small sample size, small sample size. But I'm convinced that 98% of y'all motherfuckers saying small sample size have no clue what y'all talking about. There's, there's no way. There's no way we can have these wild swings, right, two weeks into the season, every year, with any understanding of what small sample size is. Temper your reactions, whether good or bad, case in point. I follow the Utah Jazz. If you listen to this podcast, you know I'm a Rudy Gobert fan. I did not overreact to the negative start, or I have not overreacted to the negative start from Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell is a promising young player, and he has all of the tools to be one of the game's best. And this is not a knock on him. I understand why Utah paid him, and I probably would have done the same thing as well the point being he's wildly inconsistent if he could even if his highs and his highs are amazing you suppress them but in doing so that guaranteed you that the lows wouldn't be where they are and you could just find a pocket of consistent positive consistent play you take that you sign that up all day for Utah But my point is I haven't yet overreacted to the negative start of the season by Donovan Mitchell because it's a small sample size. But likewise, and here's the thing, if you're going to do it, you got to do it on the good and the bad. So often we, 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 we are so quick to make these grandiose proclamations when someone is playing poorly. Steph Curry, he, that talk has dominated my timeline. I'm sure it dominated yours. And then he had to, do what he had to do on Sunday. But even then, right, Steph Curry started the season off poorly. It's a small sample. We have an entire career on Steph Curry that we would be able to base to let everyone know, okay, this is a small slump. By the end of this season, Steph Curry, barring injury, these numbers will regress to the mean. Right? Like, that's that should not be some outlandish extreme take Steph Curry we're talking about one of the 10 to 15 greatest basketball players ever a man who has impacted this game people were getting off takes that he's washed and he's overrated and in in what six games people were ready to let that out conversely however Steph Curry I think even he the biggest Steph Curry fans will tell you this was not the best start to the season. And while I know Steph Curry's numbers will get back to where I believe them to be, he had a great game on Sunday, and everybody was like, ah, see? The small sample size. Now, again, the sample is not small when you look at the entirety of Steph Curry's career. But if we're just going to factor in this season, you can't. if you play poorly four games and then you have one great game, like, yeah. Any any extreme reaction to either of those five games would be foolish. Likewise, I haven't overreacted to what Donovan Mitchell has put forth in the regular season thus far. Small sample. But you have to also do that when he played phenomenally well in the bubble. 
you have to temper your reactions. And I say all of that to finally come to the point of this second quarter this week. I am a huge John Wall fan. Huge. I love that man's game. I love what he stands for. I love how he carries himself. I love watching him play. And I hope he he come he continues this phenomenal play. But it's been three games. And so many people are like so quick to be like, see, the Wizards lost this trade. I don't know if the Wizards lost this trade because to declare a winner or a loser of a trade six, seven games into a season is absurd. I will say this. John Wall's ceiling, looking forward, moving forward, probably is higher than Russell Westbrook's. And to be fair, Russell Westbrook is not, Scott Brooks is not doing him, Russell Westbrook, or this team, Wizards team, any favors. Like, fans have quickly realized that, yo, you can't play Russell Westbrook and Ish Smith. At no point would that even be considered a, a an intelligent lineup, even without seeing it. On At no point would I be like, yo, Russell Westbrook, and Ish Smith with, you know, Troy Brown Jr. That's a lineup that you should play. Like, that's absurd. And it feels as if Scott Brook is finally understanding it. But you're the head coach. You're making $7 million a year, I believe. You shouldn't be the last one to realize this, bro. I say this, though, because we need to temper reactions. I hope John Wall continues this play. And again, I'm cautiously optimistic, but I remember vividly, I guess it was two, three years ago now, two years ago now, when DeMarcus Cousins came back from his Achilles tear, when he was on Golden State, and everybody was like, oh my gosh, can you believe that Golden State has DeMarcus Cousins? And I was, at that time, go back, listen to the shows, I promise you. it's It's been recorded. I was like, DeMarcus Cousins represents a variable. Maybe, maybe, he plays better. But ultimately, you can't bank the future of yourself, particularly in a condensed season, off of the first games you see. DeMarcus Cousins, when going to state, he played well to start. He played well throughout that season, and then at the end, he hurt himself again. And I'm not wishing that on anyone. KD, John Wall, hell, Russell Westbrook, none of these players I wish injury. But we can't be so quick to, to declare winners and losers in a 72-game condensed season. If I'm a Wizards fan, yeah, I get it. I get it. This probably stings, particularly when you see that the Wizards struggled early on. But this is something that I was very clear on my timeline. The Wizards started off to a, on, on a bad start, 0-5. They're not an 0-5 team. The Wizards will absolutely find a way to scratch and claw and get themselves back into contention that for that eighth to tenth spot, I've always felt that team was going to factor into the playing situation in the Eastern Conference. Now, if you were one of the people who thought that the Wizards were going to be as good as Philly or Indiana, yeah, that probably was a rude awakening and it smacked you across the face. But that's because the expectations were too high. Self-assessment. Again, I, I preach this all the time. You have to know where you lie. You have to know where you stand. You have to be able to realistically self-assess. The Wizards aren't an 0-5 team. 
They're not a bad team. They started off poorly, but they'll get themselves back together. There's too much talent offensively not for them not to. And, and with that being said, Russell Westbrook will play better. Will he play as well as he did last year? I don't believe so. I don't believe that Scott Brooks is the the coaching or offensive mind that Mike D'Antoni is. And I think we're seeing that here. Russell Westbrook is who he is. Like this fiery, ultra competitor, kind of nonstop force of nature. That's who he is. So for good and for bad also. So if he is not in a position where his kind of faults can be diminished, where he's not forced to play at his best, well, then he's going to just go all out because that's the only way he knows how. There's there's no nuance. There is no smoothness to Russell Westbrook's game. It is in-your-face onslaught. And we know and we've seen that's not the way for him to maximize his productivity whether it's individually or from the team standpoint. And I I hope, I shouldn't say I think, because I'm not the biggest Scott Brooks fan, but I hope that gets reeled in a bit. And again, play Russ with shooters, and you'll be better. Just that much, that clear. It's that easy. Play him with shooters. You give your team a better chance to win. But because Scott Brooks has uh, been slow to come to this conclusion, well, then Russell Westbrook hasn't looked the part. And because of the slow start and because of the inefficient offensive play, then, yeah, people have been in a rush to be like, man, that was a we traded our first to get the worst player. Again, I'm a John Wall fan. I want John Wall to continue his play. I hope, again, cautiously optimistic that he does. All of these things are true, but I can't base anything off of the first five to seven games of the season. I can't make any declarations on that. Neither should you. There are going to be ebbs and flows in the NBA season. There always are. But when you're talking about players coming off of an injury or veteran players who've, who are clearly on a decline, yo, you, come on. Let's chill a bit, right? Let's pump the brakes. And this isn't just for John Wall, Russell Westbrook. That's what this quarter is focused on. But this is on your favorite team, whomever it may be. Donovan Mitchell. I've seen R.J. Barrett. He's already started really well and struggled. I'm a Knicks fan. People are screaming at the top of their lungs. Hey, we finally. Nah. We're 3-3 at the time of this recording. Six games. Can't make any judgment off of six games of a 72-game season. Like, come on, y'all. We could do better. Luka's not playing well thus far. Do I think that Luka has been overrated? Of course not. I think that team isn't that good. But even now, I can't really go out there and say it because guess what? They've played six games. No matter the team, no matter who you like, who you dislike, no matter the player, no matter the formula, small sample size exists for a reason. That phrase exists for a reason. If you are a scientist experimenting on a vaccine for the matter, right? And the first time you have amazing results, okay, document that. But you can't just go off of one or two or six or 60 experiments. 
you got to keep going. So when I see you guys kill Steph Curry for a poor start, or when I see you guys heap significant praise on Julius Randle because he started really well, no matter good, bad, favorite, or most disliked team, chill. We've got plenty of time. Well, I'm not going to say that. Hopefully, we have plenty of time. And though I hope, I genuinely hope that John Wall and Kevin Durant can can rewrite how we view Achilles tears in the rehab process and the return to basketball play. I hope that we can write a new, start a new chapter on what the recovery from an Achilles injury is. I'm going to pause before I make any grand declarations. I'm going to pause before I make any hyperbolic, you know, hot take. I'm just going to chill because six games, seven games, 10 games is not nearly enough of a sample. All right, guys, you've heard the horn. That means we are at halftime this week, the first halftime of 2021. Hopefully, you guys have enjoyed the first half thus far. Heavy on the basketball, heavy on the NBA. But, of course, that's what you guys have come to love. Coming up, though, in the second half, we're still going to break down the big fight between Ryan Garcia and Luke Campbell and look forward to what may be on the verge of happening in the lightweight division the glamour division in the sport at this moment. Plus, there has been so much discussion over Doug Peterson, Jalen Hurts, Nate Sudfeld, and the Philadelphia Eagles in the last game of the season. I'm going to give you my more weigh-in on how I feel about this and the hypocrisy that the NFL and the people who love the NFL have for those events all of that and so much more still to come on the quarterly report but at halftime this week you know a lot of you all are going through the same thing new year new year's resolutions right so we have some exclusive audio of some of your favorite sports personalities and sports teams i guess this was this kind of co-op meeting right you watch the wire remember the co-op all of these different drug dealers would gather at a hotel uh you know meeting room and discuss how they were going to slang that dope across Baltimore. Well, similar, without the nefarious drug content, some of your favorite sports personalities and teams were gathered in a meeting room right around the new year to discuss what ways they were going to improve themselves, almost like a a virtual vision board meeting right and we have the exclusive audio information about some of these personalities 2021 new year resolutions take a listen hello welcome to this virtual new year's resolution party this is a safe space where you can articulate changes you want to make for yourself so who wants to share first hi i'm coach tom thibodeau And more than anything, I just want the Knicks to stop being a fucking embarrassment. I like to think that I'm changing the on-court product, but just a week ago, we had two players wearing the same number. Ugh. Here's to New Year, New Knicks, I guess. Thanks, coach. Good luck with that. 
You're gonna need it. What? Nothing, nothing. Uh, who's up next? Dan Snyder from the Washington football team. Take it away. Hi. Well, I should be happy. My team is heading towards the playoffs and we seemingly are on the right path towards success. So my resolution is to not get in the way anymore. Wow, Dan. That's really big of you. I know I speak for millions upon millions of fans when I say that's a great idea. Really? You think they'll like that? Great! Because I was worried I'd have to sell the team. Uh, wh- well... But, but, but this may give me enough cover. The damn Washington Post has like 10 more pieces that will ruin my name. But if I just fall back, everything will be okay. Um, <clears throat> sure, sure. Uh... Just get your ducks in a row, you know, just to be safe. All right, who's next? It's me, the great Aristotle. Shaq, okay, what's your New Year's resolution? I'm going to find a new talented center to start a beef with. Shitting on Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee has gotten old. Shaq, now, you're a legend. Don't you think this is a bit beneath you? Shut up, Chuck. Don't start that. Uh, My name's not Chuck. Chuck, shut up. Before I put you on a t-shirt. I don't even understand how Shaq finds himself like. It's almost as if he's like picking on some of these dudes, bro. Like Rudy Gobert, JaVale McGee, Dwight Howard. None of these dudes are like these like super aggressive, you know, territory. Like he beefed with Dwight Howard over a a superhero. (laughs) You understand what I'm saying? He beefed with this dude. For like 15 years over a superhero. Shaq is a wild boy, man. But it kind of goes to the point that I was talking about last week with the voices uh, the league chooses to kind of be their mouthpieces. Uh, And Shaq is funny in the right kind of position, in the right circumstance. But there's way too much at this where he just inserts himself into unnecessary problems. And I don't know. I don't know what it is. It's entertaining, if not tiring, probably a little bit of both. But hopefully those teams, those players, their their New Year's resolutions come true, specifically Tom Thibodeau, but Slim. When I saw when I saw Reggie Bullock with Mitchell Robinson's number, I was like, dog, what's happening? Like, like, we can't get out of our own way to save our own lives. It doesn't matter to coach. doesn't matter to players. doesn't matter to GM. That just, just. But my New Year's resolution is to not let the Knicks fuck my vibe up. And so far, so far, they're doing a good job of, you know, just, again, like we said a few weeks ago, they're in the sweet spot. There's no expectations on this team. So everything that they do is found money, right? So the young boys, they keep playing. Hopefully, we can start to determine which ones are actually potentially real players and who are not. Get a first-round pick, if not more, for Julius Randle. And let's hit this rebuild the right way. But I'm getting ahead of myself, and you guys don't care about the Knicks. So the first half is in the books. We have made our halftime adjustments. We know what we need to do to finish up strong. And to do so, we're heading into the squared circle for our third topic. This Third quarter. There are a few things in this world that in sports or entertainment that get me so excited than a truly phenomenal fight with legit entertaining prospects aren't the word for Garcia or Campbell, 
but fighters who have championship ability, right? And this past Saturday, I w- it was one of those nights where I was just so excited. First off, congrats, shout out, round of applause to the zone. You know, my personal uh, dealings aside, this is not me, my, me being biased at all. But the fact that they had their main event, the walk-in was around 6.15 p.m. on a Saturday evening. My goodness. That was perfect. I remember when I first saw, like, yo, man, the, the car was starting. I was like, hold on, because the, the fight initially was delayed. The fight was actually, this fight, the Ryan Garcia-Luke Campbell fight, was initially supposed to happen on the same night as Errol Spence. So that makes a lot of sense, the fact that it was so early, and I guess they didn't want to change the time. For whatever reason, it was postponed, and it happened this past Saturday. I don't, I don't know why it was so early. I don't care. This is something that I would love to have moving forward. There's no reason to have these fights going until eleven o'clock midnight. It's one reason why, in the very near future, I'm going to be moving to Hawaii because I like to see my sports early and then still have a life afterwards. It's truly, but. Shout out to the zone. This was a perfect. I mean, there were, there were fans in the arena, which, you know, we could talk about it at another time. But the fact that this fight, the main event, happened as early as it did, and man, what a fight it was! There was a lot of talk, and I've always been one who, who believed in Ryan Garcia, though he runs his mouth a lot, and he's always, you know, pretty boy, always on social media, doing doing a lot of different stuff partaking with a lot of the celebrities and the quote-unquote influencers i see how he could rub people the wrong way but i believed in his ability and obviously the young man has power but he stepped in there with the real he moved up and stepped in there with the real i'm not going to call luke campbell a gatekeeper i have more respect for him than that but you know a real legit fighter and early on he got his ass sat down you know, all that talking, you come out on a throne with a crown on for an interim championship. And I was like, all right, buddy, you doing a whole lot. You better show and prove. And initially, you know, he looked good early until he got his ass sat down. And then when he got late with a clean flush punch, beautifully placed. And I was like, okay, we are going to see now if you are hype or if you are the real deal. And it's a it's a beautiful moment, man. If you are not a fight fan, I, I, I'm trying to find the best way to describe it, but I don't know if there's an analogy that will do it justice. If you are a fight fan, you know what I'm talking about. When there is a young fighter or an established fighter, it doesn't even have to be a young fighter, but someone who meets adversity like that, right? All the attention, all of the eyes. Ryan Garcia was the the engine, the gas, the acceleration. You know, he was everything about this card. He pushed this card forward. And in Texas, with a huge Mexican base, fans all either there to see you. You got sat down, bro. How will you respond? And Ryan Garcia got up and responded like a motherfucking G. It was amazing to see in real time. I could talk at length about this fight, but the overwhelming takeaway is that Ryan Garcia answered the critics. There are a lot of people who don't like him, and I get it. 
I get it. He rubs you the wrong way. He's brash. He's cocky. He's confident. Pretty boy. Whatever the case may be. That boy has talent. And now we are looking at a potential, like, for so long it's been 147, right? 147 was the glamour weight class in the sport. And to some, I don't really actually, you know what? If they have the two, we know what it is at 147. And I've talked about it for years on this show. No need to talk about it anymore. We know what it is. We know, unfortunately, probably how it's going to play out, at least in the short term. And then you have your middleweights and your, and your super middleweights, and, and that's also a very glamorous position in a uh, fight class as well, but weight class, excuse me. But now the lightweight division, man, 135, we got something for real. Hands down, the best division in the sport, in my opinion. Because look at the potential fights that we have now. I think I speak for all of us when I say, I mean, we're, we're talking about a phenomenal list of fighters. We're talking about some of the best fighters in the world. Ultimately, I think it comes down to Teofimo and Tank. I think that's the fight that we all want to see, right? Because there's no doubt how that fight ends. Somebody's going to sleep. It's just a matter of which one. I think, you know, obviously Teofimo had the, the, the victory of the year. He outclassed, he outclassed, he outboxed, right, Lomachenko in a fight that we all saw and that we a fight that we were all proud of. I think even if you're a Lomachenko fan, you know, you look at the fight that Teofimo Lopez had versus him and you, there's nothing you can do but be proud. You're like, man, that was a hell of a fight that only a few fighters can pull that off that you would get that much respect from Lomachenko that he would wait so long to turn it up. Not because that was strategy, but because fear. He was hesitant to take one of those punches because that power is real. And then when Lomachenko turned it on, right, Lopez was there to withstand it, did not run away in that last round and won that last round, made no doubt, despite the fact that he probably didn't even have to win that last round, but he left no doubt who won that fight against the, at the time, um, consensus pound for pound king. And then Tank took the chat. I mean, went up against Leo Santa Cruz. And no matter what you want to say about Leo, he, he came to fight for real. That fight on pay-per-view, Tank was the A-side and he delivered and, you know, he fought a game fighter, former champion, one of the best fighters in the world just a few years ago. And he left no doubt with the knockout of the year. Those two guys, to me, that's the dream fight. But man, imagine the build, right? Because you also have Devin Haney. You also have the aforementioned Ryan Garcia. Lomachenko has made no doubt. He's like, dog, I'm not going back down to 130. I'm staying right here, which adds a huge wrinkle to that. And then you have the ultimate wild card in Shakur Stevenson. Oh my gosh. This is like it's the, the the possibilities are, you know, oh, that's something that dreams are made of. Like you you just you can get lost in thinking, like, man, what how can we do this? How should we do this? And this is one of the again, 
I say this time and time again on this show, man. Boxing gets so much wrong. Boxing gets in its own way so often. But damn it, when it's right, when boxing is right, I put it above every other sport. Every single one. And Saturday night was just a glimpse into how boxing can be phenomenal, man. You know, Ryan Garcia has the power. He keep on calling Tank. I don't think he want that. In fact, I know he don't want that. I give him credit. I give him credit. He hasn't backed down yet, and we'll see. I think a far more interesting fight for Ryan moving forward would be Devin Haney. And you can see, the Zoe was trying to set that up. But, like, Ryan been running his mouth for a whole year. A whole-ass year talking to Tank, calling out Boogeyman. Throwing the water on the mirror, saying Boogeyman's name, saying Candyman's name over and over and over again. His fans, I don't like. I get it. The zone, the zone. It, it makes sense. Sure, put up Devin and Devin Haney's a fine. Is a really good fighter. He's a hell of a fighter. I think though he's getting lost in the sauce a bit. Again, when you look at 135, you look at what has transpired. You saw. We talked about what Teofimo did to Lomachenko. We talked about the knockout of the year by Tank. Shakur Stevenson, you don't have to be Customato to see what what he is. He needs to get a little bit more pops on his punches, and his power, and his lack of power worries me a bit. But we all know he the real deal. It's just a matter of time. And then Ryan Garcia puts forth that performance. You know, Devin Haney, he had an opportunity to kind of keep up with the Joneses in his last fight. He won, right? But it wasn't. It wasn't. It was a missed opportunity. I think we all would agree. Devin Haney's still a hell of a fighter. I think Ryan Garcia would be best to go that route, work himself, get himself a little bit more comfortable. He needs to work. He needs a lot of. He needs a lot of work on his defense. With those hands hanging down that low, him being that cocky versus Tank, he's gonna get his head knocked off. And you know what? It'll be fun to watch because Tank needs to work on his defense too. But you can look at the you can look at those two and be like, okay, one guy, they both have elite power. One guy has like TNT. You feel me? Ryan Garcia don't want tank just yet. But if it happens, I mean shit, we we been, we all benefit from it. But like again, if you were to do Devin Haney, Ryan Garcia, Teofimo, Teofimo and Tank, man. That's the that's the fight we all want to see. That's the money fight, for sure. Those two guys will draw more money in any you know than I mean, Ryan Garcia probably can move. That's the thing, man. Ryan can move some move some move the needle himself, and we have to wait and see what those numbers are from Saturday. But I mean, he has this huge following. He's just not ready for that just yet. But it's hard to tell a young boy who's clearly confident in his ability that you're not ready for the upper echelon just yet. I like what I like what Top Rank has done with Shakur. He he needs some work. You can't put him up in there just yet with the tanks or the Teofamos or you know, I, I think he probably could give Ryan some work myself actually. But no matter how you view the future of the 135 division, everywhere you go and again I haven't even talked about Lomachenko yet. Now, Lomachenko doing this this lame shit where he's coming up with excuse after excuse for a, a, a legitimate loss. I don't like that. 
You know, you you already have a loss, and again, that was a controversial loss itself. But you are well respected. That loss doesn't hurt you at all. The fact that you run around complaining does. And Teofimo has been like, dog, I'm not running it back with you. Why? You ain't want the. You didn't put a rematch clause for me. I get that. But Lomachenko still, he's still one of the best. And you look at that division. I mean, we've heard, we know what Aaron wants. You you know what he wants. He wants Shakur, and he wants Lomachenko. I don't think Shakur is ready for that just yet, though. Again, if we get it, I'm not complaining. But the point of this quarter is just that we had a superstar performance, a superstar-making performance by Ryan Garcia. He had already had the attention, right? He already had the fanfare, the money. He put the silence, he put the, the doubters to silence, right? He, he shut up everybody. Well, not everybody, but he shut up a lot of folks. There's no, there's nothing wrong with getting put down on the ground. There's nothing. There's no shame in getting hit, let, laid out on the canvas. Hell, Terrence Crawford got laid out. People, people always forget. Like we, we lose track of this. You get in there with great fighters, man, and sometimes not even great fighters. Like in Bud's case, you're going to hit the canvas. There's nothing wrong with that. But how do you respond? And there is no doubt that Ryan Garcia responded in all A's. That was a hell of a fight, a hell of a performance. And when you look at the close of 2020, and in this case, the start of 2021, there's so much momentum right now. We are getting great fights. We're getting elite level fighters putting forth phenomenal performances. And man, you know, again, it's hard to describe to those of you who are not big time boxing fans. But as I watched that fight Saturday night with my brother-in-law, man, he got caught up in it. It was that exciting it was that engaging, and hopefully, hopefully, this is the start of a phenomenal run, not just at 135, but for the whole sport. Boxing heads, man, shout out, first off, man, shout out to Ireland, man. I love y'all so much. I've never been, when all of this stuff is over with COVID, matter of fact, y'all send me places to go in Ireland. The Ireland listeners out there, y'all support me, something serious. I got nothing but love for y'all. I've never been. But when COVID is lifted, when the restrictions are lifted, when it's safe, I'm heading out there. So I want to know what spots I need to go to. Y'all hold me down, something serious, and I want to return to love as well. So boxing fans, let me know your thoughts on 135. Who do you think ultimately stands tall at the division? Email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Tweet at the show at quarterly show, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show. And to my Ireland, my Irish listeners out there, Slim, hit me up. Let me know what places I need to be because I'm coming out there. When it's safe, I'm heading over there. I promise you that. And I want to link up with the listeners out there because y'all really do show love. And I appreciate each and every one of you for doing so. All right, guys. Three quarters are in the books. We are done in the middle of the boxing ring. And we're heading to the gridiron. The wild card weekend is fast approaching. It happens starting on Saturday. But the last game of the regular season left a lot to be desired and a lot of pearl clutching in the wake. I'm going to give you my thoughts on Eagles, Giants, Washington football team, this weird NFC East drama for our fourth and final topic this week. Fourth quarter.
sometimes, you know, as a father, you know, there's certain things you, you try to instill in your child. I try to tell my daughter, you know, don't lie, never lie. No matter what you do, own it, right? Because no matter what happens, lying is only going to make something worse. And I think that's a, a very strong uh, principle to live by, whether you're young, whether you're a teenager, whether you're an adult, whatever the case may be, man, whatever decision you make, own it, you know, and live with whatever consequences that happen. But always, always, always tell the truth. I always try to instill in her also, don't call people stupid. Don't call anything stupid, right? That's just such a dismissive term. It's, it's rooted in cruelty. You know what I mean? Like these are basic things that I think most people try to instill in the young people which they love. But also one thing that I, I try to tell her, despite the fact that unlike the other two, I actually do this thing. In fact, I have an entire segment, which we're in the midst of right now. I try to tell my daughter never to tell someone to shut up, right? Shut your mouth, watch your mouth, hold on, don't say that, excuse me. There's so many different ways around to say shut up. Shut up, again, very dismissive and cruel, but I'm sorry. I had to break glass, break glass in case of an emergency here. Because y'all Bamas who have been curl pearl clutching, right? And talking about the sanctity of the NFL, of all things. We're talking about the sanctity of the NFL. Y'all Bamas have to shut up. You have to. There's no choice. I need you to do it right now, immediately. And if you see someone doing it, smack them in the face, yo. Because this is insane we're not talking about education we're not talking about health care we're not talking about our government we're not talking about religion we're not talking about uh you know charity charity charitable donations or any of that we're talking about football and the fact that so many people were upset at what the eagles doug peterson specifically did now look let me also draw a line if you are a player on the Eagles, if you're a player for the Eagles, you're not listening to my podcast. But I have no issue with what any player on that 53 or 55, whatever the count is this season, man roster, being upset. Anyone on the coaching staff who disagreed with what Peterson was doing, like, dog, that's your family, that's your house, handle that. I have no problem with you all being upset, specifically the players, right? There's a Kelsey bite out there, which was really, really strong. In which he's talking about, hey, man, this isn't the NBA. One player in the NFL can't change the team. It just can't happen. And, and because these two sports um, are played oftentimes by the same people, um, it's the, the, the player demographics are similar. It's often easy to kind of lump the NFL and the NBA together, and they're just so completely different. It's obvious if you've ever watched two minutes of football and two minutes of basketball that you know, okay, these games are, shouldn't be compared, but they're compared so often, right? It, may, it, it really is odd. And then, so when, when you hear a player say bluntly, look, this isn't it. This isn't the NBA. Justin Herbert is going to be the offensive player of the year. Justin Herbert, everyone is raving about how great of a player he is. The Chargers got worse. You understand? They're like that stuff happens all the time. Very rare is it that you can have an elite level quarterback or a young quarterback, excuse me, and they hit the ground running. 
without a year of a red shirt, any of that stuff. You know, Russ did it. Luck did it. Um, you know, it, it, it just doesn't happen frequently. So, and, and, and that's the thing, right? Let's say the Eagles were trying to get a quarterback. Well, they're picking sixth now. And this is also something that is incredibly important. Jalen Hurts was playing like trash. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We saw last week, I complimented Brian Flores for doing something which most of the NFL culture, and we're seeing it play out now, they just don't understand. Right? You're supposed to only have one quarterback. And if that one quarterback is struggling, you go down with the ship. Despite the fact that if your cornerback is struggling, if your guard is struggling, if your linebacker is struggling, you take him out. We do things so differently when the quarterback. So Jalen Hurts can struggle. I've never been a big believer in Jalen Hurts. That's not a knock on the young man. He's had flashes, right? Um, I'm talking about this this week on Instagram for my overtime segment. So, again, if you guys want to hear a little bit more of this type of uh, sports analysis, a little bit of my flavor, head on over to Instagram quarterly report and check out my overtime segment. This week is going to be on Carson Wentz and this whole kind of Eagles quarterback situation. But Jalen Hurts has given this team a spark, but that spark wasn't enough. Washington did everything in their power to hand that game over to Philadelphia. Philadelphia owes no one anything. If Doug Peterson is like, yo, I gave this man three quarters and he hasn't been able to produce, if he wants to make a change, dog, go for it. If he's saying, look, Jalen Hurts is going to be our quarterback of the future, I've given him three quarters out here. This defense, specifically that defensive line, is getting some big hits on them. I don't want them hurt heading into the offseason because we need a lot of work. I get that too. I get, you know what? If he was just like, dog, I don't care what y'all say, right? I didn't ask for this game to be flexed. There's so many fingers to point here. I hear was Joe Judge and the New York media and the Giants, Max Kellerman, all of these people, uh, Jim Trotter, screaming about, oh man, Dan Orzlowski, this is disrespectful to the Shield. The Shield, dog, why? Y'all not Cub Scouts. Why do people still, in 2021 now, despite all of the BS that the NFL has done consistently, still talk about protect the shield, the sanctity of the shield? Y'all Bama so stupid. Y'all don't go, go out to your Cub Scouts and, and learn how to tie, you understand, a, a, a Bolivian knot and shut the hell up. What you talking about the sanctity of the shield? Dog, the shield is nothing. It's nothing. The Eagles did what any team would have done. Well, I shouldn't say any team, but what most teams would have done. And everybody's like, well, look at Matt Stafford. Matt Stafford played the whole game. Can you believe it? Matt Stafford may not be playing in Detroit next season. He's trying to put good film on tape. The Lions are going to have a new head coach. Stop it. What y'all talking about, man? No one would have cared. No one outside of the New York media. And because it happened to New York, again, a team that won six games. You feel me? Cry me a river, bro. Like, there's so much foolishness here. So let us let me just slow down and start picking this thing apart one by one. Number one, if you are the New York Giants, 
Shut up. You won six games. You lost three games heading into the final game of the season. Three. Three. You understand? Hell, I feel that one the first game, Danny, Danny Dimes, Daniel Jones came back. You rushed him. You shouldn't have played him. Colt McCoy gave you a better chance at winning in that very first game. Y'all didn't play him. Is anyone criticizing you all? There were bad decisions that were made by the Giants this season. Which players should have played, which players shouldn't have played. We can do that. We can do that game all day long. So if you are a Giants fan right now, or you are a member of the Giants or someone who covers the Giants, and you have been complaining for the last 24, 48, 72 hours about what happened, right, in the Philadelphia-Washington game. Shut up. Shout out to Trick Daddy. You can't win six games and then start complaining about what other teams did to cost you a playoff spot, bro. That don't even sound right. You got the Miami Dolphins win 10 games in the AFC. 10 and missing the playoffs. You won six and are complaining about what a division rival did to, to, to hurt your chances of making the playoffs. That don't even make any sense. Number two, if you are a member of the NFL national media. And the first thing you have done is complain about what Doug Peterson did in regards to Jalen Hurts. Ask yourself this. Why the hell did NBC flex Washington Eagles for Sunday Night Football? For the last game, there are a lot of teams. There were a lot of teams who, hell, you win, you're in. There's a whole lot of dynamics that could have been played at that last game of the season, specifically teams who have either 500 or winning records. You understand what I'm saying? Like, why Washington, Philadelphia, when we all knew Philadelphia had nothing to play for? We all knew that Philadelphia's team is in flux. That Jalen Hurts, while played better than Carson Woods this season, we don't grade on the curve. He hasn't been a good quarterback this year. Look at all the rookie quarterbacks this season. And then look at Jalen Hurts. You understand? And again, no disrespect to that brother, man. I hope he does play well. I hope he has a full offseason to win the job. I don't think he should be handed the job by any stretch. But if he has an offseason to work on his game, work on his craft, understand the difficulties of an NFL uh, system, right? And get and, and, and better get himself familiar with that. And if he earns a starting spot in Philly, man, God bless him. But he hasn't played great this year, and he didn't play good. He didn't play well. He wasn't decent on Sunday. What is the problem of benching a player? Now look, Sudfield's not good. So if you're saying, hey man, Jalen's not playing well, I need a spark. Cool. If you're saying, I know Jalen's gonna be here, he's taking some shots. Cool. If you, I, I'm completely under the impression that when this game was flexed, the NFL talked to someone in the Eagles organization, ownership, something like that. I doubt they talked to Peterson. And then look, man, you're on national television. I know this game doesn't mean anything to you, but you're going to have to play your starters for most of this game. That message gets relayed to Peterson. He's like, all right, man, I'm going to play the game. But like, if they're not playing well, I'm pulling guys, which he 100% has the right to do. The fact that people are getting so upset at a coach for pulling a a player who's not performing or b 
pulling a valuable positional player when there's nothing for you to play for? Why are we upset? And this takes me to my larger point, man. We treat the NFL like it's religion here. Remember a few years ago, it was like literally when we first started this podcast. So three, four years ago at this time now. And one of my very first episodes was talking about the idea of tanking and how to eliminate tanking from the NBA. And it was funny because I remember watching the ESPN shows. No disrespect to Mike Greenberg. I like Green. He's one of the few people at ESPN, like personalities that I enjoy. But him and, and a slew of other people, and I'm just naming him because he was he's the first name that comes to mind. But so many people were talking about the NBA. You got to do something with tanking. Tanking is out of hand in the NBA. The NBA is tanking. Da, 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 da. The NBA, before they adjusted the lottery, they're still the one of the four major American sports that does not just reward the number one overall pick to the worst team. Like, that happens in baseball and football and hockey. If you have the worst team, you get the number one pick. The NBA added a mechanism that does not guarantee that. So tanking, at even before they adjusted the odds, it did not guarantee it. Meanwhile, we've had suck for luck, tank for Tua, you understand? Uh, tra- tra- terror for ter- Trevor, whatever you want to call it. For over a decade now, NFL teams have been tanking. And no one, sh- no one says a word. Why is it that we hold the NFL to such a higher standard? Like, no one says anything about tanking. We all know tanking exists in all sports. And look, it's not even that. It makes sense. It makes sense. You're not going to win anything. Improve your draft lottery position or your lottery. Improve your draft position so you have an opportunity to draft a game changer. The entire draft uh, process idea is completely absurd when you think about it and if you guys wanted to and become very extreme and just do away with drafting as a a whole i'd be down but we're not there yet so don't kill the nba for years about tanking and then be be quiet as a church mouse when it happens to the nfl like why why is there discrepancy in how we react to the same action the, the NFL has, has this kind of Jedi mind trick on so many people in sports. It's one of the reasons why in recent months I've just stopped talking about the NFL because it's just it's just silly season. You understand? But, like, this past Sunday, I had enough. I was like, okay, come on now. We can't do this. We acting like there was a crime committed. Protect the shield. The shield, my ass. You understand what I'm saying? Only shield I care about used to come on FX. The hell they talking about? Like Jalen Hurts is somehow Tom Brady. What are we doing? It's cool that Buffalo went out of their way to pummel the Miami Dolphins. That's cool. If that's how you want to carry it, bomb. Have at it. But you don't have to do that all the time. Every single year, every single year, there's an opportunity where if there's a team who has nothing to play for, whether they've already clinched the playoff and they may not have a buy, so they're resting their players or they have nothing to play for at all. They just sit, guys. They don't give it three quarters. They may give it a half and be like, all right, we're good. It happens all the time. 
but because it happened to a New York team, now everybody's going crazy because it happened on national media, or I'm sorry, national television. Now everybody's losing their mind. This game should have never been flexed. It's someone who who has the quote unquote privilege of watching 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 Washington play football each and every Sunday. Their defense is salacious. It's fun to watch them. Offensively, nah, I'm good. I could do without that. And I can imagine the same could be said for Eagles fans. Look, man, I have no dog in the fight. I don't care if Washington made the playoffs, if it was Dallas who would have won and could have gotten in, or the Giants. I don't care. I, I literally could not care any less. But what it does, what I do care about, what does bother me, is this, this fake anger, this fake, or maybe it's not fake. I don't know what it is. If you guys have this much energy in our current condition, in our current climate, to be that upset over Jalen Hurts and Nate Sudfield on a sorry-ass Eagles team, God bless you. I don't know how you have the bandwidth. I don't. But I'm assuming you guys are amping up emotion. And I would just ask for what? Are the are, are the Giants better than this Washington? I mean, yeah, they swept them. Win more than four other games. It's not hard. This is not a difficult concept. Washington swept the Eagles. They swept Dallas. I'm sorry. <laughs> like this, this isn't difficult. Stop relying on a Philadelphia Eagles team that won five games to do your bidding. Easy. I want to hear from you guys, man. I'm assuming a lot of the New Yorkers here probably disagree with me. And I'm assuming a lot of you NFL sycophants also. It's cool. My skin is tough. I can take it. Let me know. But I know I'm right. Shout out to Trick Daddy again. Y'all Bama's just got to shut up and win. Easy. But I want you all to speak up and continue to listen, man. Email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Tweet at the show at quarterlyshow, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, please do me a favor. Download, subscribe, and most importantly, leave a sentence or so. A few words, a kind, um, a, a kind review, if you will. Let me, let the world, let your friends know why you love the Quarterly Report Podcast. Those little sentences, those short sentences or reviews are very, very helpful. So if you don't have, or if you do have this time and you don't mind, uh, please go ahead and leave a, a few short words as to why you enjoy the podcast. Uh, I want to thank each and every one of you all for listening to me this week. I hope everyone has a safe start to the new year, to the month. You understand 2020 is in our rear view. Let's Let's, let's go ahead and make 2021 a, a very strong year. And I'll be back here next week better than ever for another episode of the Quarterly Report Podcast. Make sure y'all wash your hands and stand wear your masks and stay y'all asses at home, man. Until next week, I'm going to holler.